Off the ball. GAA. I feel like the negativity around football is a bit overblown at the moment, mm. to be honest with you. I think it's in a very conservative phase. Off the ball. Join in the obsession. Subscribe now at offtheball.com forward slash join. The F1 pod on Off the Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula One. Yeah, we go to town on it. Okay, you're very welcome along to the final episode of the F1 pod for this season. It's episode 20 and uh, I mean, a lot of fireworks towards the end of the season as well in Abu Dhabi at the weekend. Max Verstappen claiming a 19th victory out of 22 Formula 1 races in 2023 at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix last weekend. We look back on that in this episode and on the season as a whole, I guess, as well. We're delighted to have, as usual, we have Bernie Collins, the former head of race strategy with Aston Martin. And we have the motorsport journalist and broadcaster Declan Quigley as well. Bernie and Declan, how are things? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, Shane, yeah. yeah, good to be here. We were just chatting before we started, Bernie, about the uh, the end of season. Like when you were working with Aston Martin, and even now, I guess, in the media, end of things, everyone thinks, oh, sure, that once the final race, race ends, that's it. You have nothing else to do. But sometimes there can be little bits and, and bits of testing, I guess, after the, the season ends as well. Yeah, sure. So we had one day of testing, you know, just after Abu Dhabi. I think people, some people ran two cars at that. Still a lot of data to go through with those young drivers. And you sort of try and take, from a team side, a look back at the year, what you did right, what you did wrong, any summary stuff for the drivers, what they can learn into next year. So you definitely have a few busy weeks trying to wrap up those final few things before you get into your Christmas break. And I think that's the same for all of us. You sort of, you see the end goal and you've got there, but then there's still those little thing, little projects that you've signed up to that you maybe forgot about that you're trying to finish off. Is- Season's too long. 22 yeah. races, it could have been 23. I mean, it would be 40. If they could get the uh, get the uh, do you speak about the fireworks at the end of the season? There were quite a lot of fireworks in Abu Dhabi. Actually, I was quite impressed with them at the very end. You know, I thought they were trying to do a Vegas thing, but didn't quite didn't quite get there. But uh, but they but generally, uh, yeah, absolutely, everyone's knackered, aren't they? You know, I mean, I haven't gone through the season the way you've gone through it, Bernie. But it's it's, it's too much. It really is, you know. And I think they killed a golden goose. I, we were looking at um, you gave us a couple of topics to look at, Shane, ahead of this, and. Uh, I'm trying to remember the races <laughs> from five, six weeks ago. I mean, you just, it's its like they come like an avalanche. And once upon a time to win a Grand Prix was this amazing achievement and would be fated and heralded. And, you know, at the end of the year, you could remember all the winners and this was this, this special thing that had happened in your career. But now it's, they come thick and fast. It's almost like the old NASCAR season that it's its just uh, tomorrow's chip wrapper, isn't it? And you can't remember it a week later. Hmm. Yeah. What do you guys think the the sweet spot is like, Bernie? For you, in terms of the as Declan says, there too, the season's too long. Like, what's the what is the sweet spot? I sort of felt working at sort of the seventeen eighteen. That was fine. That was manageable. I think if from a personal point of view, when you get into triple headers, that's too much. When you're three races on the bounce, that's too much. Um. So yeah, it needs to, you need to definitely not have that in the season. I think next year we've got two of those planned in to finish the year, which is just. Um, you know, a horrendous way to finish the year, really. So, the, you know, that's my limitation is I would never do a triple header and you're sort of looking at 18, 19. And even this year, although it has been a very busy year, we've finished pre-December, even finished the test in pre-December. And there's something quite nice in that, not running into that final month. Because mm. even the, I was just checking there, uh, Declan, for the Daniel Ricardo quote from last week. He, he was he, I caught on the hop, asked about the the fact that there's going to be a triple header scheduled next year towards the end. You've Las Vegas, Qatar, Abu Dhabi, one after the other. 
in the 2024 F1 season. And his response was, what? No chance. We'll be exhausted, especially <laughs> at the end of the season. That probably just sums up how the drivers feel. I've got a theory that, you know, um, I was just sort of looking at um, driver performances from the year and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, Daniel Ricciardo came in, damaged goods, absolutely destroyed. And everyone's going, well, he's coming back in. No, and he's flying. And then, you know, you saw the same a little bit with guys like Hulkenberg and um, I'm trying to think Magnussen and guys who were spat out of Formula One, came back in, absolutely went really well. Maybe they were just a bit fresher. They hadn't spent you know, endless amounts of time on the treadmill of traveling and, you know, doing these race weekends, going through the the, the routine and the process. And we just, they, I mean, there are some that can do it week in, week out. I mean, I go back to Alonso and Hamilton, who just have this extraordinary ability to go back to the well week after week. But I wonder if there isn't just a sort of an element of burnout and guys come back refreshed, have a couple of races where they're flying again, and then it uh, maybe settle into wherever they are, you know, after that. Yeah, it's it's funny, Bernie, because even I was watching um, ITV yesterday, we were covering the UK Championship in the snooker, and they were talking about Ronnie O'Sullivan's longevity and how he's still able to go and do what he's doing at, at 48. And I think about lads like Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton, um, and, and it is, as Declan says, it's it's the ability to keep going back to the well and to, to almost just be able to stick out the season better than some of the younger lads sometimes. Oh, yeah, and like we've seen it, I think, even this week, there was discussions of various drivers being sick. Some of that love came from from Vegas and the time shift and what was sort of required there. But yeah, those guys well, that are fit. Well, to... Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, it's not what I was referring to, but anyway, <laughs> um, it's just it, those guys are, are better fit to look after it. And maybe some of those guys feel more in a position of strength you know, as any of us do going through our career, to just say no to the extra requirements, to just say no to some of the marketing and stuff or whatever and prioritise their health or their, you know, that management a bit more because they all have, you know, some of the best physios that we have around working with them, trying to keep them on top of things. But just walking through the paddock in Vegas, people were just broken. Um, And that is, you know, what's been required through this season and the people that manage that better are getting the best out of themselves for the entire year. Racetracks are way bigger than they used to be as well. So the sheer act of walking through a paddock, I mean, you walk kilometres. You know, a modern racetrack like Abu Dhabi is about five times the size of, you know, the old Monza or somewhere like that. So you'll just get way more steps. <laughs> but no, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm being slightly flippant. Um, I, I wonder about the logistics of the teams as well. I mean, I know they rotate personnel a little bit these days as well. I mean, the logistics of trying to drop people in, reintegrate them, sort of take, pull them out again. I mean, it's just, it's too much. I, I just think that they, they will kill the golden goose ultimately, you know? Yeah, that's the that's the danger, isn't it, with the sport that they, they follow the money, but maybe don't think about the bigger picture sometimes. But the the the, uh, the quotes from Toto Wolf as well recently, uh, Bernie, he was talking both of you maybe on this one. He was talking about missing some of the older races, like we've seen Miami come in, we've seen Las Vegas, Saudi Arabia in recent years. Um, but there's a lot of those older tracks that we're just not getting to see on the on the schedule anymore. Are there any in particular that you guys maybe start with you, Bernie, that would would like to see back that the what the nostalgic ones that you maybe miss? Oh, I don't know, to be honest, because some of the ones that we used to, you know, you think of sort of Hockenheim or Nürburgring or any of those ones that we used to go to, every time I went there, it was freezing. <laughs> so I never really, I don't really, didn't really it's miss it. It's always snowing at the ring, wasn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I just remember sitting on the pit wall, just feeling cold. Um, so there's a lot of the races, I don't know, for personal reasons, maybe don't miss and maybe differently as a spectator, but part of me feels we have to embrace some of the new ones with the new audience. You know, a lot is made of the fact that we've 
three American races, but look at the size of America compared to the size of Europe. So if we started to say we had, I don't know, whatever it is, 10, 12 European races and then compared it, it's a bit different. Mm. Um, Obviously, those flyaway ones are harder on drivers and everyone involved. Um, There's some countries that are notably missing. You know, I think um, Lewis Hamilton might say we don't have one on the African continent continent which yeah. I sort of thought you know when I when I look personally at myself at all the places that you've been and the countries that you've been to that's one that I've missed just for that reason um so we need to make it maybe a bit more worldwide which maybe isn't a popular opinion yeah would you go along with that Oh, billion percent. I mean, I mean, Kailami was an amazing racetrack back in the day, wasn't it? In South Africa at altitude and anything that has a bit of elevation, anything beside a mountain. Um, the old Osterreich ring was extraordinary. It's funny what we, we get nostalgic for, because I remember when Hockenheim came in uh, in the 1970s, everyone was like shocked, horrified. It was like two chicanes, big, long straights, the track to kill Jim Clark. And then when... When Hockenheim disappeared from the schedule, it's like, uh, yeah, or actually they shortened it, didn't they? They got rid of the big long straights and, and you know, gave us the short uh, stadium section. And everyone's going, oh, we missed the old Hockenheim. We missed the old Hockenheim. So the kind of, and again, with the with the um, the old Nürburgring, got to get rid of that. Everyone's getting killed. Uh, go to the new Nürburgring. Oh, it's anodyne. It's boring. And then when that disappears, it's like, oh, we haven't been to the Eiffel Mountains in a while, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's uh, things shift a little bit. But um, there were too many races in Europe. Uh, it did need to change. Uh, it did need to get to different continents. It's uh, completely outrageous. We don't go to um, uh, the the African continent. That's just it. Just shows you. I mean, it's a money game. I mean, I, I thought it was funny in Las Vegas that Max Verstappen was g- giving it was outraged about the the razzmatazz and all the glitz and and it was kind of like, <laughs> it's, it's like mm-hmm. buying a house behind beside an airport and giving out about the noise. It's like you know you're in Formula One. This is your game. If you don't want that, go to the Walter Hayes Trophy because that's better motor racing. It's super entertaining. You'll have a great weekend. You won't make as much money yeah 100 the the uh the, the mad thing about the f1 pod this season is that I, like every as i said 19 of the races have been won by max verstappen and we end up not really talking about max verstappen because it's just a procession or ordinarily we we just think about we'll talk about the other topics because we can't be talking about the same thing every week but i mean bernie that the the performance of this guy this season uh, it was it was late 80s in the percentages of of win percentage this season for for max verstappen it's just been insane yeah i think it has and you know someone described it as you're seeing as close to perfection as we've got in a while in terms of the car in terms of the team the strategy the pit stops everything is just working perfectly and like we've just spoken for the last you know five minutes about the season's relentless and just a little lapse in concentration a little lapse in a pit stop someone being sick or ill or whatever and you know the team has had that the team has People have missed races through illness or the rotation of people. And to keep that consistency there week and week. Now, they have a bit of margin because the car is fast, so they can have a slightly slow stop and get away with it. But we're not seeing any howlers. And one thing, you know, from a pure engineering point of view, to have produced such a fast car that's reliable is very difficult. There have been many seasons where we've seen really fast car you know, loads of reliability woes, not finished in the race, whatever. And I don't think someone cracked me, but I think, you know, Perez's car has not finished potentially through incidents or crashes, but I don't think the Red Bull hasn't finished a race all year through any reliability nickel. Mm. And to have a car at that level with that strength is pretty impressive. 
Yeah, the consistency of pace as well. I mean, uh, the opposition started the year being dominated in every in every. I mean, it's it's a terrible year. If you want to, the problem is not Max Verstappen. The problem this year was Sergio Perez because in in previous years we've had massive dominance from other teams. I mean, obviously eighty eight is the is the obvious comparison with McLaren winning all but one of the races. But of course, then you had a great old battle between Senna and Prost. And in sort of recent years with. Um, you know, Mercedes dominating, but you know, it was a good old good old set to between Hamilton and Rosberg and you know, Bottas was able to back him up a little bit. Even in the uh, Schumacher dominant years, you know, Barrichello was right about there, wasn't he? Felipe Massa was was there and they were frustrated at having to sort of, you know, kowtow and contractually obliged to back him up and all that. But and even Perez himself uh, a couple of years ago, but this year what two wins in the first four races a couple of poles from the first five races and they gone. and was it that the, the car changed a little bit and he couldn't get on with it but the head dipped didn't it and that's that's what ruined the year i mean i don't want to you know rain on checo's brakes he's probably not in top four I mean, not that he cares much about what i'm saying anyway but uh but in reality that's what that's what killed it for us and it's not it's not max verstappen's fault he is unbelievable Exception, yeah. yeah. Right car, right time, right guy. Everything is just... And that consistency, yeah. Because very often a car will... I suppose you'll get it into a performance window and you've got to be able to keep it there. But uh, what happened, I suppose, with the opposition is they they got faster in qualifying as the year went on. He, he ended up with 12 poles, which sounds pretty good to me on a, on a regular year, but actually is against uh, 19 wins out of 22. And most of his um, good qualifying performances, I think, were in the first front half of the year. And then things started to happen a little bit for Leclerc and, uh, and others in, in qualifying. So, but so then, they, but they had an amazing, amazing race car, and yeah, he's just delivered the consistency. Extraordinary. We've had the the usual rumors of Lewis Hamilton to Red Bull in the last uh, week or so, and I mean Lewis Hamilton again denying claims that he approached Red Bull about a move. So the those the quotes from Christian Horner in, in the papers that saying there had been an inquiry from Hamilton. Hamilton then says he did not contact Red Bull. Horner had reached out to him, suggesting a meeting at the end of the season. Uh, it's just brilliant, all this stuff, Bernie, isn't it? And, and even then, uh, Lewis Hamilton's comments about uh, Max Verstappen, he says, I would more, be more than happy to race against Max in the same car. It would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. I don't think he wants me to be his teammate. And then Verstappen's response was, what would it add to know? It's not happening. There's no point to make up stories if it's not happening. So it's it's intriguing to wonder what might happen in that scenario. Yeah, it is. And it's a, it's a really interesting one. Like, where did the lake for that come from? Because, you know, obviously it's part... Um, Hamilton in a bit of a difficult position with Mercedes but every driver at the top of their game is going to be having those discussions and if they're not doing it themselves and I can't believe Hamilton himself walked down to Christian Horner and said oh I'm interested in the seat but you'd send someone or someone and ask and you know what classifies an inquiry um, mm-hmm. and like how you know if it is you know the rumours Anthony Hamilton maybe went and spoke to him but if he just asks in the pit lane if there's a seat available is that an inquiry or is that just finding out if Checo's in or out so it's just there's so many it's a lot being blown out of proportion I think really it would be interesting to see them in the same car but I think you know so many people haven't done well in that Red Bull the second seat in Red Bull because they can't drive the car in the way that Max does could Lewis, we don't know. But, you know, it's probably more interesting to see if Mercedes can up the game and get a car equally as good. And then you might have two different cars very suited to their drivers. Um, But yeah, I love the back and forth all weekend. There was this back and forth. You said this, I said this. It's just um, 
bit childish, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's just I mean, bit. it's just pure. It's just Christian Horner, isn't it? He's just staring it completely, one hundred percent Red Bull, because there isn't a driver. Uh, I mean, as you said, Bernie. I mean, when it's contract time, you go and find out what you're worth. <laughs> so you got to find out what the number is. So um, if you really, really, really want to drive for Ferrari, it, you'll go up and ask them, and you'll say, "Listen, I'm interested. What's the, what's on what's on offer?" If you're not necessarily interested in leaving in your your current team, but you want to find out what you're worth, you'll get send one of your your minions, your staff, your or maybe your dad, and they and they'll just uh, ask a sort of a polite question. You'll get some vague notion, and then you can have a chat with your current team and just say, "Well, actually, I, I have options elsewhere." Okay. I mean, it's since the dawn of time that's normal. So it's it's just uh, Horner stirring it for a bit of crack, I think. But also, it wouldn't be unknown for someone's father to go and do that without any of their knowledge whatsoever. Yeah, it's just, did he even know? I don't know. Yeah, these are the conversations that go on behind the scenes that maybe we don't realise half the time. Like, Declan, who would win in the same car? I know it's a subjective question, but you put Lewis and Max in either both Red Bulls or both Mercedes cars, who's going to win? You have to own the team. So if you, as, as Bernie says, you know, would, would Lewis be able to drive Max's car? Well, the question is, would it be Max's car? Yeah, he owns the team at the moment, so Lewis would have to come in and adapt. And he's not going to instantly turn that team around and turn the the, the direction of development. I mean, we saw that in 22. The um, George Russell had a really good start to the season, and then Lewis drove the direction, uh, you know, he's, he made consistent demands and then brought the car back to where he needed it to be and then he started to dominate George Russell towards the back end of 22. George is actually the disappointment of the year for me. I thought that this was his might have been his time. Um I'm a massive Lewis Hamilton fan of his of his uh, this you know the way he sustains that that performance but I thought given his age that it might be um George Russell's year but what are they 11 all in qualifying um Hamilton well twice the points um mm. It's uh, it hasn't been quite the year it might have been. Now he did finish the year pretty strongly, uh, George Russell. So I mean, it could change in a in a heartbeat next year. But at the moment, Lewis Hamilton owns his team. Max Verstappen owns his team, and you don't just drop in and go. It would be hard to hard to imagine that Lewis would, especially given his age, twenty six against one hundred and six. Yeah, um, Lewis is yeah, yeah. yeah. The disappointment of the season for you, Bernie, like as as Declan says, George Russell possibly could be a pick for a lot of people. Who really kind of left it out there, um, you know, for you this season that maybe didn't quite reach the peaks of of where you thought they'd get to? I think oh, there's there's a few probably up and down the grid. I agree with what Declan said. The Mercedes split is interesting, and it's interesting the age thing when you mention it and Hamilton's race being better than his qualifying because there's a lot of theories out there that the qualifying is the first thing to go that quick reaction time that you need for a fast lap and quality so look at your stats again for that at the end of next year and see if the split has changed again I think you know again as Declan said earlier we hoped in those first five races that Perez would really bring the challenge to Verstappen and that was where our interesting competitive year was going to come and that didn't happen. Um, and I was a bit surprised maybe at the start of the year that it was as close as it was, um, particularly in those first few races, but then it did really tail off. And not not that I expected more going into the season, but those first five gave me hope that it would be quite a tight season and it would be really interesting to watch. And that, was, that ended up being reasonably disappointing. Yeah. It really, really was. I mean, the the just it promised so much for Sergio Perez. I remember chatting at the start of the season, and Perez was was the go to man. We were all praising him so much, but it just didn't quite materialize. The the race at the weekend, 
uh, in Abu Dhabi, guys. The I guess the moves between Ferrari and Mercedes were the were the real talking point towards the end of this ten million dollar battle for for that extra place in the constructors championship. Um, what did you make, Bernie, of the of the the ploys from from Ferrari towards the end? I guess to give the place back to, to Perez as well. It, I guess it made sense at the time, just didn't quite pay off. Yeah, it didn't pay off probably because they didn't do it early enough or didn't think about it early enough. And I find it fascinating that that seemed to be driven at least from the car, not from the pit wall. Um, that's think of the capacity, the mental capacity to be thinking. I can make this happen without quite losing my own race. And um, there was a few th- there was a few other things that happened, you know, in terms of starting Carlos on the hard tyre was an interesting decision because that doesn't often work out very well in Abu Dhabi. You're trying to do that longer first stint. So could they have done something a little bit better there? Like the pace didn't look great, but how much was that was the tyre in the first stint? But um, And that sort of comes down to that last race, everyone... Everyone puts a lot of focus on the points that you bring away from the last race, whether that's going to be P2 or P3 in the championship or something in the driver's championship, whatever it is. And it's difficult. It will be difficult. They'll feel difficult to have lost out by so little. And they'll look at that race and scrutinise that race. But a lot of what the strategists will be doing at this point of the year is scrutinising every race. I would imagine those points are easily found at many other positions during the race for both teams. You know, Mercedes would be looking at what more margin they could have had. Ferrari be looking at what they should have picked up. So it's not won or lost in the last race, although all the focus comes down to the last race and those decisions. But real but it's winning of, time, isn't it? That's it the is. time when you've got to be able to 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 stand up and do it. I mean, it's the last few minutes of a, of a football match. It's the last few minutes of a basketball thingy, whatever they do. Um that's the that's the moment when people do crazy stupid things or they do amazing things. And that's what always fascinates us about sports. So Elder Leclerc was extraordinary. Uh, for Stappen too. I mean he was calling strategy for Perez who was in 1911th position and he was working it all out for him. You know, the the pit stops and things. It's extraordinary how those guys can they have the capacity to take it all on board. I thought it was a great old go by by Leclerc. But yeah, really, I mean we're you know with the strategist on the pit wall at that moment, yeah, yeah, it's an ability to it's squeaky bum time, I think, wasn't Alex Ferguson called it for, for Manchester United? It's an ability to do, to do it on those last pressurized moments or in Formula One, you know, the last lap or two of a race. Is that is that an interesting one for you, Bernie? The, the fact that you know calls are being made quite clearly from the cockpit of the car as opposed to the pit wall sometimes, or, or do you do you, I guess, as a, as a race strategist, just sit back and go, okay, well you know the driver can see things possibly that we can't from here sometimes so you just let it slide definitely sometimes they've got a bit of a bigger picture you're really focused on your data so they will often come up with ideas or something different or sometimes you know the management in the pit wall will come up with something saying oh have we considered xyz that type of thing you know we've seen it a few times in Abu Dhabi so Sargent held back Ricciardo they had a very tight battle between Williams and Alfa Torre. So he spent something like five laps defending in a car that was slower, but at good straight line speed because he knows that they weren't going to score points, but he could try and prevent Ricciardo scoring points. So that was, you know, there's that's happening up and down the grid. But it's just, it's not the first time we've seen it to be critical from Ferrari that it's been called from the car. We had Carlos Sainz with Norris trying to defend position in the closing laps of Singapore. That's, appears to be driven from the car um, and it's just about having a, a bit more foresight you know Perez has got the penalty what can be done safely and we, we might have missed the start of the conversation 
mm. have not listened to it all myself post, but there have been quite a few times where you sort of feel a lot's been driven from the pit wall or a lot been lots been driven from the car, even in terms of fundamental pit stop decisions being questioned. The trust there between the cars, both cars and the pit wall still doesn't exist. So there's still a lot of work to be done. I think Fred has started to correct some of that. It's definitely less than we've seen in previous years. There have been some moments of genius from the pit wall. Um, so, yeah, work to be done going into next year, 100%. Is, is, it, is, is it a paralysis of decision-making? Is it, uh, you know, is it a, um, is that I a think so. issue? I is think it, so. Is it that everyone's afraid to, 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 I mean, presumably the ideas are in there, but they're not able to yeah. sort of articulate or say, we need to do this now, you know? I was very fortunate in my career that when I, we, we decided something from a strategy point of view, it was very rarely the management got involved. Very rarely were the Otmars of this world or anyone saying, oh, I'm not sure about that. You just cracked on with your decisions and you did the analysis later. I think in Ferrari, there's a big hierarchy that is going through many steps before it's making that to the radio, which is often why on safety cars we see a lot of indecision because it's just not, the process is too slow, I think. And this is just outside. I don't actually have any basis for this. Just listening to the radio, it feels like things are happening too slowly. I don't believe they're bad strategists. I just believe that too many people, there's too many cooks that are all got their opinion on what they should do. And it's not, the decisions aren't being made quickly, rapidly, and then analysed fully. Um, And I think Fred's helping that. But I also heard someone, an interesting theory recently that said, you know, moving a Ferrari People see that as a lifetime career. You know, you're in Ferrari. That's where you're going to, as engineers, as strategists, that's the pinnacle of where some people want to be and they want to stay there. So there's a lot of not rocking the boat, I think, and not saying, oh, I disagree with XYZ's decision. And you need that. You need that on F1. You need the like lowest power strategist to be fit to say, oi, have you thought about whatever? And I've feels like people aren't using their voice enough to speak up but i've never worked there so i don't know mm-hmm. it's all guesswork that's a really interesting one yeah you need to have that mm-hmm. sort of environment that you you have to be able to speak up and have the just the desire to to say something but i i see what you're saying like if you're in ferrari and, and you think you've got that job for life then maybe that might stifle some people decking into into not speaking up i guess isn't it amazing the way the DNA of racing teams passes down from generation mm-hmm. to generation? You would have thought that the sort of the mindset, the thinking, I mean, that that sort of a super hyper-political atmosphere prevailed in Ferrari in the 1950s and 60s. You go back to the Dragoni team manager, you know, uh, Machiavellian tactics. I mean, that's a slightly different. It's a lot different. But um, but still, the idea that everybody wants to just hang on to their job, no one wants to rock the boat. I mean, it, it, you see, even saw it this year with Aston Martin. I mean, they uh, one of the big disappointments of the year was Aston Martin. They started the year absolutely flying. It's the old Jordan team. I mean, it was exactly the same in the in Eddie Jordan's days. They didn't um, they didn't develop. They whether they didn't have a plan to, or they didn't have the money to, or they didn't have a structure to, um, and the car was minging. Like it kind of made a bit of a comeback the last couple of races, but. Hmm. Uh, isn't it remarkable the way we see this these kind of uh, stereotypes and these 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 this DNA this this you know sort of circulating through the generations? I think it's extraordinary. Yeah, it's 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 quite incredible, guys. We'll take a very short ad break. We'll reflect further on, on the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and, of course, give out the rest of our awards for the for the 2023 season in the F1 calendar. The F1 Pod on Off the Ball brought to you by Chicago Town Pizza. Real takeout taste for less with Chicago Town. It's myself, Shane Hannon. We have Bernie Collins and Declan Quigley. We'll be back in just a second. 
Hello, Shane Hannan here, the host of the F1 pod on Off The Ball, which is available every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. I did want to take a quick moment to mention our sponsors of the F1 pod, Chicago Town Pizza. And sure, when you're watching the Grand Prix action across the weekend, why not enjoy it with a pepperoni Chicago Town stuffed crust pizza? It's takeaway taste at home. It's the F1 pod from Off The Ball with thanks to Chicago Town Takeaway's unique fresh dough pizza. Yeah, we go to town on it. Now, without further ado, the F1 pod. The F1 pod on Off The Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula One. Yeah, we go to town on it. You are very welcome back to episode 20 of the F1 pod, the final episode of the season. We're reflecting on the season as a whole and, of course, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix from the weekend just gone. We have Bernie Collins, the former head of race strategy with the Aston Martin Formula One team and Declan Quigley as well, the motorsport commentator and journalist. Um, guys, I mean, it's been it's been quite a season for, for Fernando Alonso, ups and downs. Um, Bernie, I guess your old team, Aston Martin, will be, will be glad to hold on to him. I think there's talk of a... Um, I know his contract runs out at the end of 2024. There's talk of extending that. I think one of the the articles I read on Fernando this week said life begins at 43. Um, just he's just an amazing guy. Yeah, I think the strength that he's shown this year. In the start of the year, it was really positive. Lots of good results. Fernando definitely lead in that, um, as well. And then through the year, when the car appeared to get worse, if anything, um, let's say the upgrades look more like downgrades that went on the car at times. Fernando was still fit to hold on to that a bit more than Lance was. So he was fit to wrestle the car around and get, you know, some consistent points. But they've got to feel really disappointed with the P5 championship position compared to where they were. Um, you know, it looked really strong at the start of the year. They were in P2 for a good amount. And those points early on really held on. And exactly like Declan said, we've been many years in the past there where we gained loads of points at the start of the year and then it was about trying to hold on maintain that through the year and that doesn't appear to have changed except that whatever they've done in the last few races it's that performance is back not quite on the podium but back a little bit and it is just can they do that development race and that's if there's some fundamental misunderstanding in the car that's going to be very difficult going into next year Um, but I think Fernando is hanging on the coattails a wee bit there. This is probably where he's going to finish out his career. Let's see, I'm making assumptions there. But the sort of ambassador role or whatever it might end up being with Aston Martin probably looks pretty appealing. Hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, another driver... Well, he can run the team. He can buy the team. <laughs> yeah. uh, Lance is bored now. And, you know, as we've seen in every underage football team in the history, you know, when... When the kid gives up, then the the, uh, the folks aren't there to available to volunteer anymore. So yeah, I don't know. That's um, I think they they've got a good, nice little car company there, so maybe quite fancy set hanging on for a little while. Them um, the, the Stroll family, but uh, uh, Fernando Alonso, yeah, extraordinary. I, I wouldn't give him a long term deal though. We do at forty three, but uh, it, like last week in uh, or last Sunday in, in Abu Dhabi, he's he's doing this crafty little lift and lift and coast semi-break test thing with, um, with uh, Lewis Hamilton. His, his motivation, his, his competitive instinct is absolutely incredible. If you could I did hear, that, if you could bottle it. Yeah. I did hear from someone in the team that he's generally the last one out of the office. It's really hard to shift yeah. him out. He's so determined to stay and learn and improve. Um, so definitely he's not lost any of that focus like Declan says. I wonder what he'd be like as a team principal. You know, I mean, he has a reputation as being a slightly divisive character. Um mm. You know that he doesn't always bring the team with him the way that he might do, I and mean, there have been criticisms leveled at him over the years in in that direction. But he might just be, 
so you know imperious and so you know on, on top of everyone that like they would everyone would turn up to work early everyone mm-hmm. would work late i mean um would you be like jean tot i'd probably be a bit slightly different than that but i i think he does have a fascinating future in the sport beyond beyond driving but he's not yeah. finished with driving yet my god he's extraordinary yeah. Maybe the, the campaign starts here for Fernando Alonso as team principal. Yeah, I'd like to see it. Uh, the, the, the Another driver, when you're looking back at all the race uh, results this season, I mean, Carlos Sainz, the only non-Red Bull winner of a race as well, Declan. That, that's, it's such a surprising stat. We never thought we'd see that at the start of the season. But if you look back on, on Sainz's year as a whole, it's hard to, even, even his weekend in Abu Dhabi last weekend, he gets the big crash in, in practice, doesn't get beyond Q1 in qualifying. Um, start 16th in the race it's just a bad race for him generally but it's just been a funny season yeah it hasn't been a great year for for Carlos Sainz I mean it was kind of a bit unfair really that he got the win because you kind of think that um, Charles Leclerc dominated him a little bit semi-dominated him a bit in, in Ferrari across the balance of the year so seems to have the edge um, at the moment yeah I mean let, let's not paper over the cracks too much it was a minging season really in reality wasn't it that mm-hmm. uh, you know 21 of the 22 races were won by the one team you know harks back to, to 1988 and uh, look we will have periods of dominance it is the nature of, of um, motorsport in general it's the nature of big time sport in general you have you know team you know teams will will dominate but um it was semi. I'd say the the drive to survive generation are suffering from a little bit of PTSD now. They don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, this is what motor racing really looks like. You know? uh, sometimes it's just a bit dull, and you've got to find the race a little bit further down the field. And um, for Carlos Sainz, yeah, I mean, good recovery drive in Vegas. Uh, everyone felt sorry for him after the drain cover thing, and uh, but uh, but yeah, it's been a an average season really I wonder is Charles Leclerc really at the same level as as Max Verstappen and and uh, Lewis Hamilton et al um, is he teak tough is he strong to that level he is amazing though isn't he I mean he's pretty he, and he's he's got that team going for himself at the moment yeah that's another that's another interesting hypothetical kind of conversation in your head like if you had Leclerc on the same team as as Max the same car how would that fare but yeah I think you're right there's probably a there's a slight gap there maybe but it's certainly not much you'd imagine uh, it's probably just experience really Bernie isn't it the gap between Leclerc and, and the other two possibly Um, I would have said I thought Leclerc was maybe a wee bit behind but you don't have the data for that either mm. I think like Declan says there have been times where Carlos has been fit to bring it to him a bit more this year than what we'd have expected Carlos has a few unfortunate things you know he obviously got the win which Leclerc probably feels a bit devastated about and you know, the running theory is, is Leclerc too nice on track? Has he given too much space or not taking the chances where they're, where they're throwing at him? Um, but yeah, that's maybe a bit of that's experience. I think I sort of, I often look at the um, the raw pace and qualifying is not necessarily experience. That is a given or that is at least um, an attribute. Um, whereas the race pace, the managing the race, the holding on to it, the managing the tire degradation, that's more experience. That's more where drivers learning or not to have the hot-headedness that we've seen of Verstappen when he was very young. And I don't see any of that from McLaren. So I don't really know where the experience is going to going to gain him loads but maybe that's just not enough foresight on my my, my behalf mm. I, was, I was looking at the first corner um, and Leclerc got a really good run at Verstappen um, in, in Abu Dhabi and you're sort of thinking well it's a DRS era isn't it and Verstappen has this amazing amazing racing car so maybe Leclerc's just thinking I'll, I'll just try and stay with him in the first stint you'd never know 
But there was just something that he could have got past, couldn't he? I mean, he could have, you know, would Fernando Alonso have, you know, he would have gone in all guns blazing and just seen how it all worked out at the end. Especially because we know that Verstappen has been cautious turn one lap one this year because he knows he has the margin. He knows he's going to get him at some other point in the race. So if there's ever a time to get Verstappen, it's early in the race at the moment because he has matured to this point of going, oh, it doesn't matter lap one, I'll get him lap three or four, which is still true. Mm. But your best chance of beating him is to be ahead. Clear air is always the preference. Clear air and break the DRS toe and then you're in the race. You know, you know, it's just following him. Because mm-hmm. that's how Verstappen manages the race, isn't he? Like, I mean, that's the modern way, isn't it? You just sort of slowly, slowly catchy monkey through the first stint and then the race evolves <laughs> after that. It's, yeah. Is it? I mean, am I oversimplifying? <laughs> I need to oversimplify by times. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. It's a good phrase. Yeah. <laughs> I like that description. I do. I do. The the um, the um awards for the season, it's probably, we've kind of already mentioned the biggest disappointment. We'll fly through some of the others. Um, I guess driver of the year, guys. It's, I mean, I know it's hard to look past Max Verstappen. He was the driver of the year. Let's be honest. Uh, but uh, Bernie, maybe start with you. If we, if we look beyond Max, who has kind of really upped the ante this year? I guess. Well, there's a few up and down the grid. I'll just pick one, and then Declan hopefully have some of the others mm-hmm. that I thought of. But the one that stands out to me, and I was thinking more of overperformed the car, um, got results way better than I think the car. Um, deserved and that was Albon I think Albon's really outdrove it driven the car this year he's you know he's scored all of the points I think for Williams bar two and they've managed to finish P7 in the championship with a car that arguably doesn't look P7 in the championship um, and that's consistency consistency in qualifying consistency in the race so I think and for someone who didn't do well at Red Bull he's really matured into that car so I, I thought Albon was pretty good shot I mean, I suppose that that stat that came kept coming out in the last couple of weeks was that um, he whitewashed Sargent, and the last person to get whitewashed in qualifying across the season was was Albon against Verstappen. Um, <laughs> so you just so right. there's that big question mark: Is Alex Albon really all that? We kind of wonder. I mean, I'm sure with Williams they're wondering, man, maybe we really, really did have an amazing card this year. So you just <laughs> just not 100 sure. But I mean, you can't argue with dominating your teammate teammates. And and he did that. Uh, the the other sort of standout performer for me, probably in the surprise performer category as well, was Yuki Tsunoda. Mm-hmm. Um, he dominated. I think he was sixteen six in qualifying against his various teammates. Four three against Ricardo is probably his strongest teammate. Um, again, it's not all about qualifying pace, but he wasn't crashing this year, was he? He wasn't falling off. He wasn't bouncing off people. Um, he finished all but one race. I think there was uh, he had a good excuse for that. So it's a uh, uh, I thought a really strong season, scored a lot of points. And um, for a guy that, um, yeah, he's a figure of fun, but there, there's sort of in this, in, in the English speaking world, there's a tendency, I think sometimes for sort of a, a little bit of disdainful lack of respect for people from Asia. And there's a, I've noticed this going back to Saturday Nakajima days and, and before Tetsuya Kasawa and anyone came over from Japan was um, sort of a curiosity and by times a figure of fun and could be patronised and in different days and I think sometimes as well Sonoda doesn't get maybe the respect he deserves he, his his career and, and partly the feeding into this a little bit perhaps might be that he the only championship he ever won was a Japanese Formula 4 championship um, took him three years to do it he didn't really have a stellar uh, career in the in the lower formula um, he was third in F2 and then 
he's come into F1 and it's, it's steady Eddie. It's a sort of a Mickey Lauda career in that as much as he's kind of evolving and, and uh, has had a great year, deserves a bit of a shout out. Yeah, for sure. That that surprise performer of the year, Bernie, I, I guess it is a similar enough conversation to driver of the year, but was there anyone who really jumped out given maybe the, the, the lower expectations they might've had heading into the season? Um, again, uh, quite a few, but probably my pick is Piastri. I think there was a lot said about how good Piastri would be. There was a lot of hype around Piastri. Obviously, there was all of the back and forth about what team he was actually going to join and a lot of competition for him. But to get into the, you know, we all rate Norris, I think, in the McLaren. The McLaren started the year terribly. But Piastri's brought it to him on a number of occasions, particularly in qualifying, needs to work on the race pace, definitely. The points don't really represent potentially at times how close they were, but I think he's done a lot better versus Norris in that car mm. versus, you know, given the hype. Yeah, well, that's a fair point. The 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 race of the year, I mean, I guess it's a different conversation, Declan, to the best race we've had in terms of the the venue and the fan experience and all the rest, but but for you, what was the best race of the of this calendar year? I know it's hard to it's hard to hark back to to March and think of them all, but but for you, what stood out? I looked at a couple of them. I mean, Monaco was interesting, wasn't it? But I mean, it was wet and mm-hmm. ashes and all sorts of uh, nonsense going on. Uh, Austria was good, good. I mean, impressive stuff from Verstappen. He had to respond to. Uh, um, he ended up hitting at the wrong time. Maybe made a mistake or something of ARS, uh, and then he ended up. Um, uh, passing people on track, well, so that was exciting. Uh, I think Vegas was probably the most mm-hmm. most enjoyable, most entertaining issue in doubt towards the right to the very end. Um, lot going on. It's a funny old thing, isn't it? I mean, years ago the FAI said, uh, FAI said that we've got to, um, the, or whoever it was, send Pirelli off to create these tires that wouldn't last till you know. Till the end of the first stint, you know, wouldn't they'd only last ten laps at the most or whatever. Um, that's the direction they've gone over the years. Uh, but then you end up with Vegas, where they've got like mahogany tires on a glass track, and they could have driven those cars to Abu Dhabi on those tires, and you end up with a, a better race somehow, some way. It's it's kind of it, it, the law of unintended consequences. You can never quite figure out or predict exactly how these things are going to go. But uh, but Vegas was. Vegas was fascinating, yeah. Fascinating in so many respects. I mean, fascinating for the way that Formula One embraced it, the way that it needed to embrace it. Um, Toto Wolf just seems so passionate about not complaining about anything to do with the event because they were so invested financially in it. Um, I think that was interesting, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's recency bias. Is it, Bernie? Like it, it feels like maybe it was the race of the year. Yeah, I think Vegas, and particularly one of the things I enjoyed most about Vegas was qualifying. Because we had a very different qualifying to what we had anywhere else in the year. There was some people doing a full qualifying stint on one set of tyres, doing multiple laps. Normally we see just single lap shootouts. And I quite enjoyed the interaction of that and how people were figuring out what they were going to do. Did it need a second set? So on and so forth. And it was just such an outlier in conditions, in temperature conditions, in the tyres that we had, in how people were trying to manage it. So it really got people thinking a little bit on their feet. Um, which I, you know, led to an interesting race. Zandvoort was another one. The very wet at the start of Zandvoort, very mixed conditions. A lot of people reacting to that. Um, so yeah, it's, once you get a race that you can have proper overtaking, multiple stops, and that's definitely more interesting. Yeah, for sure. The 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 the, the one I wanted to finish on, and I guess you could end up doing an hour podcast on, on this question: Was the FIA marks out of ten 
for the season, ways to improve uh, the F1 from next year as well. Declan, if I start with you, like, uh, what, what, if you're if you're a teacher, I guess marking the exam at the end of the year on the FIA, where, what would you give them? Well, that's like me marking the teacher, isn't it? I mean, what are they <laughs> going to mark me after? Yeah, well. so start the year with a ten-second penalty. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't know, seven out of ten. I mean, they're fussy, aren't they? I mean, it's. Uh, I quite like the light touch that the FIA have with um, with regard to passes on track. Like, so, so if someone takes, you know, has gone off track and taken a position or whatever, they kind of just talk to the teams a little bit and say, it's almost like a rugby ref uh, saying, you know stay on side stay on side you know mm-hmm. and, uh, so they're coaching them a little bit and they say that i think we're going to have to have a look at this what do you think and then well they do the swap so they get the swap done so i quite like that that is a relatively light touch but then they're kind of a little bit over fussy with some of the decisions i mean i thought um perez at, at the weekend was a little bit unfortunate i know i mean according to the letter of the law he wasn't getting it turned in at the apex and but maybe it's a factor of the, these the mirrors not being big enough and the cars are big trucks or something. But, uh, you know, Norris turns in and goes, oh, you know, it's there. Oh, my God, I've been driven off track. I mean, it's, I just to me, that was just something or nothing. I couldn't believe he got a penalty for it. But it is the modern way. So some, so in that respect, I think a little bit over fussy. Um, other aspects. I mean, it's a weird relationship that the FI have with the Formula One racing series. I mean, they're a sanctioning body. They are the rule makers. Um, but they seem to have a very, very integrated relationship with the team and with the promoter of Formula One. It's a three little sort of three-way relationship, which is quite odd, really, isn't it? You know, it, um, but uh, but we didn't have any huge Abu Dhabi 21-style controversies. Um, there weren't any draconian penalties. Nobody was yeah, getting banned for 12 races. So in general, yeah, they probably did okay. Uh, it's all about rules, really, isn't it, for next year? They made mm. a couple of little detail changes this year. We'll see. Uh, Bernie probably have better insight into what they're going to do next year and how it's going to affect the racing on track. I mean, yeah, we'll mark them out of 10 for next year already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you going to be strict or easy going as a teacher here, Bernie, with your markings? Oh, my marking's always strict, I think, unfortunately. <laughs> I was going to go six. Um, I don't want to, we shouldn't end it on the negatives. So hopefully you're going to ask a different question <laughs> after this. But, you know, the track's limits facade needs to be tidied up. Can we do something better about that? I, you know, the Perez overtake this week getting a five-second penalty. We're handing out five-second penalties for everything. Everything is a five-second penalty. Not that I've never seen a 10-second penalty or drive-through or any of the other penalties that are available, regardless of how strong the incident was. Arguably, the five-second penalty affected the championship position. We have a different P2 and a different P3 because of that five-second penalty. Um, these rules on overtaking, whether you need to be fully alongside, is in a way influencing driver's line. People are just firing it up the inside, being ahead, and then saying, oh, it was my corner to take, or whatever the case may be. So I think there's a few things need looked at, um, how they're going to handle those things. The outlap stuff, what a mess we managed to get ourselves into a number of times, including Abu Dhabi on the outlaps. And then my, I think I need to reduce my score. My final thing is I don't <laughs> like having so many qualifying formats. I'm not against the sprint, but, you know, the sprint qualifying is different to the sprint shootout, is different to the alternative tyre allocation, is different to normal qualifying. And it just gets to a point where it's like, to try, you know, in on the pit wall all the different offers I'm sure is a mess but to try and explain it to the viewer at home who's not watching every week maybe or not fully on top of what's going on it just even to try and explain to some people in the office just a mess mm-hmm. yeah 
The sprint yeah. has to decide the grid for Sunday. Otherwise, it has no value or reason. I mean, it just simply... Ha- and and as far as I'm concerned, it should be reverse of the uh, of the um, championship order. Right. So, yeah, st- yeah. so that's the grid for the sprint, and then that's your, your grid for Sunday. 100%. Well, guys, the, I guess, Bernie, the positive we can end on is we're all looking forward to next year. Hopefully, it's a tighter, tighter year, uh, calendar year and tighter races. We'll see. Uh, maybe less wins than 19 for Max Verstappen. But look, we're looking forward to 24 races. Begins in Bahrain on March 2nd. Feels like a, a million miles away. Uh, and finishes in Abu Dhabi on December 8th. Uh, but guys, Bernie and Declan, it's been a pleasure. Happy Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, I guess, if we don't see each other between now and then. Thank you. Hey, Shane. Thanks a million. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant stuff. And to everyone who watches and listens to the F1 pod, of course, we will be back next year. I guess the first episode will be to preview the whole calendar year in advance of that first race in, in Bahrain on March 2nd. So uh, we will be back in 2024 with the F1 pod. See you soon. The F1 pod on Off The Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula One? Yeah, we go to town on it.